0: What a day that will be when we get to see our Savior. Thank you so much for ministering so effectively to us Uh, these wonderful truths. Thank you, guys. I'm humbled and honored to serve with you today. Your testimonies, your music, your example is a blessing and an inspiration to all of us. And uh, I trust that you'll continue to live these truths And these songs really have helped us to lift our hearts to some spiritual realities, because here's the truth. We will not go to heaven except for the fact that God has been gracious to us. One of my favorite uh, people from church history is Jonathan Edwards. If you've ever heard or read the message that he preached called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He had some sort of a fascination, uh, I believe, Jonathan Edwards, with spiders and a spider's web, and his analogy was that there is literally nothing except a thread, like 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 a spider's web thread, a thread of God's grace that is preventing any of us from being cast into eternal hell forever and ever. God has been gracious to us. Take your Bibles quickly this morning and turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And I do believe what you have experienced in this service, what I've experienced as well, is once again that our, our music should turn our affections toward God. It is not primarily for our entertainment. It is primarily to exalt the Lord and Cause us to have a perspective on spiritual realities, spiritual truths, that it's okay. It is well with my soul when I'm suffering. God knows. God sees. He'll bring me through. I don't need to be afraid because I'm not alone. That's true. It's, it's a step of faith. And that someday it'll all be over when we get to heaven and we, we see him. These are spiritual truths set to music, music that Touches our heart in a way that is appropriate. Touches our hearts and our emotions and inspires us. And this is the gift of music. Aren't you thankful for that? And again, just reminder that this is something we should be involved in. That this kind of music should help us worship the Lord, not only corporately, but should help us personally as well. In Titus chapter 2, we have an amazing text of Scripture that reminds us That it is truly the grace of God that educates us and disciplines us, may I say, inspires us to be what we are for for the glory of God. The glory of God is at stake in our lives. The glory of God is at stake in our families. The glory of God is the ultimate goal of this local church. And none of that is, a, is a accomplished in our lives. None of that is, a, is really the fruit of our example without the power of God's grace. Paul said it this way, I am what I am by the grace of God. I do believe today that actually one of the biggest sins lived in the church. One of the biggest sins we all struggle with is the sin of self-confidence The sin of self-sufficiency. We are attempting to do what only God can do, bring himself glory. We are attempting to do that in our own strength, and our own power. And though we have talents, and though maybe even some training, and God has maybe gifted us in certain ways, we need to remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, for without me, you can do nothing. My friends, this morning we desperately need the grace of God. And so this brief message today is, is I hope, uh, a message that will inspire us to be more dependent, more grateful, more sufficient in God's grace. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11, the Bible says this, For the grace of God... That bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. That's what we just heard sung about, looking for that blessed hope. So it is clear that the theme of this text is the grace of god and what's interesting is that he tells us in verse 11 or excuse me verse 12 that it is god's grace which is teaching us which is educating us i work at an educational institution we have all kinds of accreditation issues we have all kinds of curriculum issues we have all kinds of credits that we are giving out and so I guess in a sense, on a day where we're promoting a university, it's appropriate to talk about the greatest educator, the greatest teacher. And the greatest teacher is not a person, and it's not an institution. The greatest teacher is a spiritual reality. The greatest teacher is the grace of God. When we speak of God's grace, we often say God's grace is... Unmerited favor. Anybody ever heard that definition before? Grace is unmerited favor. I just want to correct that a little bit because you really don't need the first word, the first word unmerited. I know it's added for maybe some clarity, but the fact is, follow this, the fact is any favor that God gives to sinners like us, is obviously undeserved. Can I get an amen? So you don't really have to say unmerited. You just want to say, basically, God's grace is his favor. And I want to tell you today that it is truly gracious of God that he would give us breath, life, days, years, and most incredibly, that he would give us his salvation. It is his favor to us. And what I want to teach you today from this text, just quickly this morning, is that this is what inspires us. This is what should be motivating our lives personally, and our families, and our churches, and our ministries. It's that God has been favorable to us. God loves us. He has been gracious to us. And I want to show you this in this text in these three ways. First of all, the characteristics of God's grace. Secondly, let's look at the curriculum of God's grace. That's a great educational word. And then thirdly, let's look at the commencement of God's grace. And once again, thinking about graduation and and how we are launched out into the world. First of all, notice the characteristics of God's grace. See it again in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation i think this is the emphasis of the text here is on the grace of god for salvation so first of all god's grace is saving grace ephesians 2 8 9 say for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast and truly it is one of the greatest demonstrations of god's favor is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And and the the reality is, you know this, you, you probably have heard this, the reality is no one ever is saved apart from God's grace. This is why the reformers would say it is grace alone. Christ alone. Faith alone. No one gets to heaven without god's grace it is not your church attendance it is not your confirmation or your baptism it is not your good works it is strictly by the loving favor of god god has been gracious to send his son the lord jesus and if you're here today and you've never been saved the only way to be rescued from sin and death and hell is through god's grace and you could even be saved today So God's grace is, first of all, saving grace. But there's something else the Bible teaches us. Not only is it saving grace, but it is self-sacrificing grace. This would be the second characteristic of God's grace. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's describing God's grace. Listen to what he says. That though he was rich, he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might be made rich. And and just to remind us all again that the saving grace of God, it came at great cost. The cost was the death of Christ, the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of the pure Lamb of God. And the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that he left heaven's glory, took upon himself the form of a servant, and he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Self-sacrificing grace. That's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So it's saving grace. It's self-sacrificing grace. There's a third characteristic I want you to see. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. It tells us this, But grow in grace. This is interesting. Not only are we saved by grace, but we are sanctified by grace. This is the third characteristic of God's grace. It is sanctifying grace. And the same favor that rescues us and delivers us is the favor of God that helps us to put off the old man, to renew our minds, and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. No one is sanctified on their own. They're sanctified through the power of God's grace, through the presence of God in their life. And so the Spirit of God and the Word of God are growing us and growing in grace is one of those characteristics of the grace of God that we see in the New Testament. It just keeps getting better and better, because God has been gracious to us. God has shown His favor to us, saving grace, self-sacrificing grace, sanctifying grace. Here's the fourth characteristic of God's grace, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, sufficient grace. We just heard several songs about how we handle trials. And of course, this is the great text in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, that reminds us that God's grace is what? Sufficient. I'm sure across this auditorium, there are many people who are suffering. Maybe you're in a deep valley and hope that this service can be an encouragement to you. But most importantly, I want to say to you, there is no trial. There is no trouble. There is no test that is so large and so great that there's not enough grace to get through there's plenty of grace to be distributed god's grace is sufficient paul was asking for the thorn in the flesh to be removed he had this trial this trouble and and he was begging god to deliver him and and jesus spoke to him and said my grace is sufficient and this is one of god's loving kind favors to us is that he brings us through by his grace There's one more characteristic I want you to see in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, where the Bible says that we are to be strong. Paul told Timothy, be strong in the grace. And I do believe that grace and strength are synonymous. So this is strengthening grace, saving grace, self-sacrificing grace, sanctifying grace, sufficient grace, strengthening grace. Truly, we can say with the songwriter, amazing grace How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And as he said in in, in one of his other verses, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." This is what I'm saying. We need to reflect upon God and, and specifically His favor to us because this is the greatest discipline. This is the greatest education we can get. It is through God's grace. God's grace is the greatest teacher. So we've seen the characteristics of God's grace. Let's notice, secondly, the curriculum of God's grace. And we see this in verse 12, where it actually tells us three categories of God's grace teaching us. The word teaching literally means disciplining us or educating us. What does it educate us to do? Verse 12, first of all, it tells us that we are to be denying ungodliness and worldly lust. I I love to say it this way. God's grace teaches us, number one, what to eliminate. What to eliminate? Listen, the Bible says it is not wise for us to compare ourselves among ourselves. And if you are someone that is looking at another family or another church or another individual and you're saying, well, whatever they do, I'm going to do, I'm just going to follow them. You know what? People and ministries and families will disappoint you. You do not get your standards of life and lifestyle from anywhere else except the Word of God, and it is empowered and it is taught to us by what we see in God's grace. Notice he says we are to be denying something. We are to be eliminating something out of our lives. Listen, all of us would agree that we live in a wicked society. Amen? You don't have to look hard, far, at all to find corruption, not only in the culture, but even in the church, and we are responsible to be enabled and educated by the grace of God, that in our personal lives we would choose to eliminate ungodliness and worldly lusts. Those are categories that we we know well. Anything that is ungodly is anything in the culture, anything around us that is not properly representing God. God's holiness, God's love, God's justice, God's uh, presence and power, and we could go on and on. Anything in the culture around us that we should be eliminating out of our lives, we should do that because of God's grace. And then, of course, the worldly lusts described for us in the New Testament, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I'm telling you, the only thing that will keep us on this path of eliminating these ungodly things and worldly lusts out of our life, the only thing that will keep us on that path is the power and strength of God's grace. God's grace teaches us what to eliminate. Secondly, God's grace teaches us what to imitate. Notice he contrasts this. Interesting, he uses the word ungodly and godly in the same verse, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live, this is what we should imitate, we should live this way. He's talking about our living. He's talking about our lifestyle. He's talking about specific choices we're making in life. What motivates me to eliminate What motivates me to imitate? It's God's grace. So how should we live? Soberly. The word sober means disciplined. Under control. Mentally. Emotionally. Behaviorally. Physically. I do believe those are the three categories that are emphasized in the New Testament that we should have discipline self-control sobriety sobriety in our thinking sobriety in our feelings and our emotions sobriety in the choices and our, of our behavior and I do believe that represents the entirety of the person that the entirety of our person as a believer enabled by god's grace should be one of discipline should be one of self- control not out of control but under control he says righteously I think we are we are Judicially declared righteous. The scripture teaches the moment we get saved, but this word righteously here is referring to our growth in sanctification. We should be growing. We should be putting righteousness. We should be pursuing righteousness in our lives, doing the right things in the right situations. And then, of course, he uses the word godly. This means that our responsibility is to make decisions with our life and our lifestyle that properly Represent the character of God. Wow, this is a daunting task. It cannot be accomplished on our own. You can't do it by just attending a church or just growing up in a Christian family. This is supernatural. This is God's grace at work in our lives. We need His grace, His strengthening, enabling, self sacrificing, sanctifying grace. So that we can be people who imitate sober, righteous, and godly. By the way, that is simply imitating Jesus, isn't it? It's being like Jesus. So it teaches us what to eliminate. It teaches us what to imitate. And finally, notice the third part of this curriculum. It teaches us what to anticipate. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's an obvious application here for for us as believers living in this imperial place called the earth. This is a place which is at war with our king. This is a place that is, that is demonstrating they are literally the enemy of God. And while we live here, we are in the world, but we are not what? Of the world? Oh, how this needs to be talked about. Wow, how this needs to be applied in our personal lives, in our families. That we should live, this, the point here is that we should live with a totally and completely rearranged perspective. And that is that life here is really short and brief, and life there is eternal. And that's where our focus should be. And so we wake up every day hopeful. We anticipate We long for Jesus to come. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I sure hope none of us would be disappointed if he came today. That we have this spirit, this spirit of anticipation, this spirit of longing and yearning for Jesus. You know where that comes from? It comes from God's grace. It's reflecting on, meditating on, being inspired by, being enabled by. God's grace. This is what keeps us on the right track. It is the curriculum. God's grace teaches us what to eliminate, what to imitate, and what to anticipate. And if those things are not happening in our our lives, then we need to run to God's grace. We need to make sure we're saved by it. We need to make sure it's sufficient and we're depending on it. We need to make sure that we're growing in grace and strengthened by it, because that's what enables us and empowers us to be this way, to live this way. So we've seen the characteristics of God's grace. We've seen the curriculum of God's grace. And finally, notice the commencement. What does this grace do for us? How does it change our lives? And it is interesting that in verse 14, he talks about the people of God. He says, who gave himself for us. This is the people of God, the church, those who are saved by grace, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And notice this, he gives three characteristics or three ways that we will be active in the world in which we live. He says, and purify us. So there's purity, a peculiar people, and zealous. Three words: purify, peculiar, zealous. Help me to see that when God. God's grace is flowing in our lives, which it should be. That we don't just show up to church and do the Christian thing and live in the Christian culture for one day, but that we are true Christians living, strengthened by, enabled by the grace of God. You know what? God will send us out into this culture and we will be pure, We will be peculiar, interesting that that word literally means special. I do know that in some sense we are peculiar. There are some people that are really peculiar. So we are peculiar in the sense that we are supposed to be radically different from the world. We've already talked about that. But that's not what this word means. It means that we are God's people. Maybe we could even use the word pilgrim. We're a pilgrim. We're special. We are in his family. So he sends us into the world to represent him, and we're pure, and we're peculiar. And then the word zealous, we're passionate. And I do believe that this is what energizes us. Are you down? Are you discouraged? Are you, are you quitting on God? Are you stopping in your ministry? You need to see his grace. That's what, in it, that's what keeps us going. That's what makes us have zeal. We're zealous. We're passionate for good works. And this is the power of God's grace. And why we sing songs like marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. And songs like Amazing Grace, which I quoted earlier. Because it is truly God's grace that is the greatest teacher. Can I ask you today, are you living in that grace? Do you know Christ? Have you been saved by God's grace? Are you actively pursuing growth in grace? Are you letting God's grace teach you what to deny, what to to live, and what to look for? And are you pure? Are you passionate? Are you a special pilgrim, a peculiar person for God in this world? wow, this is amazing. We need God's grace, don't we? So I hope we could truly say, like Paul said, we are what we are by the grace of God.